first reading this morning is Psalm 2, which is on page 384 or 543. 384 or 543. Our Father, as we open your word, please give us ears to hear it, minds to understand it, and hearts to believe it. In Jesus' name, Amen. Why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Let us break their chains, they say, and throw off their fetters. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will rule them with an iron scepter. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the sun, lest he be angry and you be destroyed in your way. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Our second reading comes from Matthew chapter 3, verse 13 to 17. That's on page 682 or 967. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptised by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptised by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, that, do this to fulfil all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptised, he went up out of the water, and at that moment heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. All right, let's pray. <clears throat> Father, thank you so much for your word. Pray that uh, you'd, by your Spirit, be opening our minds and hearts now. Help us to understand more of Jesus. Help us to live with him <clears throat> as the Lord of our lives. And we pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Last year there was a controversial television advertisement campaign to promote organ donations. Uh, controversial because it depicted Jesus uh, hanging, bleeding, dying on a cross. 
uh, with two Roman soldiers at the foot of the cross chatting with him. Uh, one of the uh, soldiers calls out, Hey, hey, down here, down here. Can I ask you a question? Um, yes, my son, Jesus replies. I am here for you, literally. Have you ever thought about becoming an organ donor? Asked the Roman soldier. Your organs could save up to six, maybe seven lives. Uh, your soft tissues and your ligaments could change the lives of many people. Your corneas could help blind people to see what a miracle that would be. To which Jesus asks, well, is it on my driver's license? And the Romans explain, no, only if you live in South Australia, otherwise you need to go online. Now, a bit of a tricky one for Christians, don't you reckon? Because uh, on the one hand, we, we love the idea of promoting organ donations uh, in order to help people who need those organs, especially if it was us who needed the organ. But using the crucifixion of Jesus to get a bit of a laugh and to attract some attention, it's... It sort of captures an, an attitude though, doesn't it? An attitude towards Jesus, which I think is prevalent um, in some sectors of our uh, culture. An attitude that says that, well, Jesus was a good bloke. He uh, taught some good things about loving your neighbour. He uh, was a man who uh, stood up to corrupt authorities. Uh, he, was, uh, he probably would have even signed off on the advertising campaign because he was a good bloke. And it's an attitude which Australians sometimes have, which doesn't really deal with the issue of, of who Jesus is and what the purpose of his death on the cross, uh, in fact, was. A very different attitude, by the way, to the attitude of John the Baptist uh, when he uh, met Jesus uh, in Matthew's Gospel. Uh, and, of course, we would expect that, wouldn't we? I mean, after all, John was John the Baptist. He's not an Australian advertising firm. But as we explore the interaction between John and Jesus uh, in our passage today, we get a much clearer picture of who Jesus is and uh, why he came and how we ought rightly to respond to him. Now, in Matthew chapter 3, if you have that open up, you'll remember from last week that uh, John, this uh, locust-eating, camel-hair-cloth-wearing um, hermit, uh, is preaching in the desert. He's preaching repentance to, to crowds of people who've come from the city, from the regions, have come into the desert. Uh, he's preaching repentance to them. And what else is he doing? He's baptising them. In the Jordan River. And in verse 13, where we start today, we're told that Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. Now, last week in verse 11, we saw that uh, there were some people who John really didn't have much of a desire to baptize. Uh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees who turned, out, turned up to, uh, to check out what was going on. Uh, not that they actually wanted to be baptised by John, they didn't. Uh, and John saw through their hypocrisy, didn't he? Remember, he 
called them a brood of vipers, a family of poisonous, deceptive snakes. So there wasn't much happening by way of fellowship there. He, didn't, he wouldn't have wanted to baptise them. But here in verse 14, John also does not want to baptise Jesus, and yet for the opposite reason. Verse 13, let's pick it up there. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptised by John, but John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptised by you, and do you come to me? Now we can understand John's problem, can't we? I mean, last week we saw a little bit about what baptism actually was. It was offered, offered to people who, because of their sin, were in spiritual exile. Because of their sin, it was as if they were living outside of the kingdom of God and that they needed to come into the kingdom of God. It was symbolising the washing away of sin. And it was accompanied by confession of sin and, and repentance. And so here stands Jesus. I mean, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were not worthy of baptism. But here for John, baptism is not worthy of Jesus. Jesus didn't need to confess, didn't need to repent, didn't need to be forgiven. John knew that uh, his purpose from God was to prepare the way for one who was greater than he. And here at this moment stands the one whose handles, whose sandals, John says in verse 11, he's not even worthy to carry. So, why should Jesus be baptised? I mean, not just by John, but by anyone. This, this was a dilemma for John, and it ought to be a question for us as well. Now, Jesus provides the answer himself in verse 15, where he assures John that it is proper for him to be baptised at that time, uh, in order, says Jesus, to, on a quote, fulfil all righteousness. What does that mean? I want us to kind of hold that thought for a few moments, because I want us to jump forward just a few moments uh, in, this, in this scene uh, to verses 16 and 17 where uh, some extraordinary things happen after the baptism of Jesus uh, which actually help us to understand more about who Jesus is. Let me read verse 16 for you. Verse 16, as soon as Jesus was baptised, he went up out of the water and at that moment heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him, like resting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son whom I love, in him I am well pleased. So, first of all, heaven opens up and the Spirit of God descends on Jesus like a dove. Now, you've got to say that when the heavens open up, something big is happening. I mean, in Ezekiel chapter 1, it's, you know, the heavens opened up and Ezekiel had his vision of, of God and of heaven. Uh, something cosmic is going on at this point. And uh, in other accounts of this, for example, in Luke chapter 3, we're told that when the Spirit came like a dove, uh, it actually means that he actually came in the 
physical body of a dove, in the bodily form, rather, of a dove. And for John the Baptist, this was highly significant because in the Gospel of John, written by the, uh, the disciple John, uh, in, Gospel, in John chapter 1, we're told that it had been revealed to John the Baptist that he would witness the Holy Spirit descend and remain on the one, the one who was greater than he. And so this is what John the Baptist is expecting to happen. But more than that, this is also loaded with the great promises of God. Uh, this idea of the Spirit of the Lord resting on uh, the, uh, the person who was greater than John. Uh, for example, in Isaiah chapter 11, there is a promise about the, uh, the stump of Jesse. Uh, that is, Jesse was da King David's father. So it's a promise about the descendant of Jesse, the descendant of David. It's a promise about God's great king who would rule over the everlasting kingdom. And it talks about him in terms of being the king on whom the Spirit of the Lord rests, which is what we see happening here. Or in Isaiah chapter 61, uh, which says, and I'll, I'll just quote from Isaiah 61, it says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, freedom from the captives, for the captives, and so on. Now, that's a very important um, Old Testament prophecy because just a little bit later on in Matthew's Gospel, um, John the Baptist went a bit... Um, uh, he wavered in his faith. He was in prison. He was soon to be executed. And he started wondering. He sent his followers out to go and talk to Jesus and to say, look, are you the one who was to come or should we be expecting someone else? And uh, Jesus says, well, go and report back to John in prison and tell him what you see, that the, the blind can see, the lame can walk, the deaf can hear... And quoting from Isaiah 61, the good news is being preached to the poor. And so Jesus here is saying that he is the one who is the fulfilment of the prophecy of Isaiah 61. That is, the descent of the dove is a sign. It is the sign that God's great plan for the universe that God's great plan of an, an everlasting eternal kingdom under the rule of the anointed king from God, that it is fulfilled in Jesus. That that is what is happening. It is a sign of that. Now, we can see why John had such a huge problem with the idea that Jesus needed to be baptised. By the way, in the early church, there were some people who had uh, zero problem with the idea that uh, Jesus needed to be baptised. Uh, they were um, false teachers who believed that Jesus was just a man. He was a 
a very holy man. He was a, he was a godly man, but he was just a man. And that he was uh, adopted as God's divine son at his baptism. Some uh, variation on that said that uh, he was adopted as God's son at the baptism, uh, but that he only became divine at the resurrection. Mm, another similar false teaching around the time broadly um, referred to as, as Gnosticism, uh, believed that the, the Logos, the divine spirit, entered the man Jesus at his baptism and left the man Jesus, uh, just before he died. The first of those heresies is known as adoptionism. Both of these heresies empty the gospel of its power. And adoptionism is a heresy which misunderstand what happens next in the text. <clears throat> because in verse 17... From the open heaven resounds an audible voice declaring uh, this, declaring, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Now, here God from heaven is speaking the very words uh, from Psalm 2, which uh, Steve read to us earlier on. Psalm 2 was most likely a, a coronation psalm. It was a psalm that was used in uh, Israel's um, liturgy, uh, in the coronation of, uh, of, of Israel's kings. It's a, a psalm that declares that Israel's king uh, would be uh, God's son, would be God's representative. And so it says, uh, you are my son today, I've become your father. Psalm 2 speaks about this king of God uh, who would be opposed by the rulers of the nations but who would ultimately be victorious in ruling the world. Um, the, the, the king to whom other kings must bow. Uh, kiss the sun lest his anger flare up against you uh, or you can find refuge uh, in this son, in this king. It's a king about the, it's a psalm about the, the king who would ultimately be ruling this world, which is not fulfilled in any of Israel's kings. But here we see that it points to Jesus. Uh, this uh, declaration from the Father is given not just at Jesus' baptism, it's given also. Uh, at his transfiguration and in uh, Romans chapter 1 verse 3 and in Acts in the preaching of the Apostle Paul uh, we see that it is by his resurrection from the dead that Jesus is declared with power to be the Son of God. So it's not that the, you know, the man Jesus was adopted as God's Son at his baptism, as if uh, the Son did not eternally pre-exist with God the Father, as if all things were not created by him and for him and through him, as Paul says in Colossians 1. But rather, it is that this is the time for God's promised kingdom. God's promised kingdom comes 
in Jesus. Now, see what Jesus said when uh, John balked at baptising him. I'm going to read now from verse 15. So back in verse 15, why should you know, John baptise Jesus? Well, Jesus replied, Let it be so now, it is proper for us to do this, to fulfil all righteousness. And then John consented. How would the baptism of the sinless Son of God fulfil all righteousness? Now, baptism is an interesting issue in itself. It's, um, talk, they, people talk about the water that divides uh, Christians. Uh, regardless of arguments about water, how much you need, how do you apply it, how much do you need to go into, what do you do if there is no river, or the lake is too shallow, which we constantly find at Camp Elam when we try to baptise people by full immersion and you need to walk out for three miles. What is baptism? What, what does it mean? What, what is at the heart of baptism? I wonder if you might come with me over to Mark's Gospel for a moment, to Mark chapter 10. In Mark chapter 10... In verses 32 through to 34, Jesus explains to his disciples what, what is going to happen to him. And he says that we're going to go up to Jerusalem where Jesus would be, he says, betrayed, where he would be condemned to death, where he would be handed over to the Gentiles, uh, where he would be mocked, where he would be spat upon, flogged and killed. And then he would rise from the dead. Now, amazingly, having said that to the disciples, in verse 37, um, two of his disciples uh, ask him, they get alongside him when no one else is around, no one else is looking, and they, they ask him, well, when you come into your kingdom, can one of us sit at your right and the other sit at your left? Now, um, someone was saying during the week, they're teaching this to a group of primary school scripture in a scripture lesson, and asked the question, <clears throat> why did the disciples want to sit on Jesus' right and left in his kingdom? little girl put up her hand and said, because they were afraid, they wanted to be near him, they were scared. Lovely, isn't it? The innocence of children. That was because they were selfish, actually. <laughs> they were status-seeking. They, they had misunderstood the nature of, uh, of the kingdom. Jesus' response is telling. In verse 38... He says to them, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptised with the baptism I am baptised with? Yeah, of course we can, they said, displaying that they hadn't understood. To be baptised is to be immersed. I'm not talking about the water here. I'm talking about being immersed in the suffering that Jesus has just described to his disciples. 
It is to drink the cup which Jesus in Gethsemane prayed would pass from him as he sweated drops of blood. And on the cross as he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As he's cut off from his eternal father. The Apostle Paul explains in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, that on the cross, that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. In his death and his resurrection, Jesus was baptised for us, for you and for me. That uh, TV ad for organ donations actually got a few things right. Um, For example, when the soldier wanted to know if he could ask a question, Jesus responded, yes, my son, I am here for you, literally. Indeed, but not as the ad intended. It's the good news, isn't it? That because of the baptism of his death, that our sin becomes his sin, so that his righteousness becomes ours. Which means that on the day of judgment, God looks on all who have repented, as John the Baptist said that we should, God looks on all who've repented and he actually sees his son. He sees, it's as if he's looking at Jesus, as if he's looking at the one in whom he is well pleased. Free from guilt, because the righteous penalty for sin has been fulfilled in him. And so... There in the desert, amongst the throngs of people, the hordes, the crowds of people needing forgiveness, stood Jesus, the the promised ruler of God's eternal kingdom, who came to fulfil all righteousness, not through the waters of the Jordan, but through that to which it pointed, his baptism of suffering on the cross. The TV ad said that, uh, uh, the, the, uh, the, that Jesus could help blind people to see, that he could save lives, that he could change lives. And I wasn't surprised to learn that the person who devised the ad campaign actually had a Christian background. He had some knowledge of Jesus and what Jesus did. Uh, unfortunately, knowledge that could be put to better use. Uh, as noble as organ uh, donations are. But what about us? Um, Even though we may be Christians, and even though we um, belong to this church, uh, we need to evaluate how the baptism of Jesus on the cross should be changing us. Uh, You see, in in Romans chapter 6, the Apostle Paul says that if we are Christians, then we have been baptised. That is, we have been baptised into Christ. And if we only think about the water baptism, I think we kind of miss the point, the deeper meaning. Because to be baptised into Christ means to be baptised 
into his death, to receive the benefits of his suffering for us on the cross, but more than that, to die ourselves, to die to sin, and to rise as if from the waters to a new life, a life of repentance. In John's baptism of Jesus, we do see that standing there in the crowds by the Jordan River, that he is indeed the sinless friend of sinners. But as the heavens open up, as the dove remains on him, as the voice from heaven speaks, we see that he is also the king of Psalm 2. The king who has the right to rule our lives as he will rule the world. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for uh, Jesus that he, in humility, submitted himself to baptism, knowing that to which it would uh, point towards uh, his suffering and his dying on the cross and his rising, as it were, from the waters to a new resurrected life. We pray for, the, for us as we are baptised into Christ through his death that we too would be seeking to live a life now of repentance, that we would live with Jesus as our King. In his name we pray. Amen.